Hi, I'm Sarah, and welcome to Daily Dispatches, the audio project that helps me pay attention to what I'm paying attention to. We got a whole bunch of field recordings this week, friends. Um, We got children singing Crowded Table by the High Women on the St. Augustine's Retreat. We got some migratory bird song. We got a little farm report. We got a weather report, and I'll check back in when it's time for the bootleg from our friends of the Blues Club. I hope you're having a good week. Um, Here we go. Lots of birds migrating through. It's Sunday, October 29th. It's really warm. It's 75 and cloudy. And Red is sleeping at the door of the house. The back door. Update, all of the birds from one tree stopped, got quiet, and flew to another tree, and another wave of birds came in, so now it's louder than ever. And you can really see their little bodies now that most of the leaves have fallen. Hummingbirds are gone, and the bees have drained the rest of the hummingbird feeder. Monday, October 30th, saw a mama cow scrapping with her baby. She was done. She was done with the meal, and she pushed him away with her horns. And I got extremely tickled because it looked like they were play fighting or slap slap fighting. That's all. It's cold this morning. It's Halloween. And my truck... Thermostat says 32.
two degrees with a little ice flake. It's our first big frost in Tennessee. Maybe our first frost at all. My elephant ears are drooping. Um, and it's cold. It's been like 50s and then all of a sudden, here we are. I can see a little bit of ice on the top. No, no, I can't. I guess that cow is just bland, uh, blonde at the top. I thought there was a little bit of frost on the cows, but there's not. There has been ice on the cows, which I learned you're not supposed to remove in a snowstorm because it helps insulate their heat, which makes me feel like I don't know anything about animals or science. Um, anyway, it's a frosty Halloween. I talked to a friend who grew up in a cold place, a place where it's always cold on Halloween. And I was like, what do y'all do? And she's like, well, you just put sweatpants on under your costume. But there's probably a lot of little folks today that would prefer not to be wearing a jacket with their Halloween costume. Also, you know, it was 80 on Saturday. So anyway, that's all. Shout out to Greg and Alyssa for leading the children so well. It's one thing to hear children singing at full voice and another to hear them being directed um, to grow as musicians and to as they're putting their hearts and everything. So that was really cool. The next clip is a bootleg from a talk that Ryan Dooley gave about authenticity in country music and it's just a little short section about how just in the last 15 years, banjo researchers, instrument researchers have learned that the roots of the banjo are not necessarily in West Africa, but more in the Caribbean. And he talks about why this is just a very brief clip from a longer conversation. He's a wonderful scholar and player has a degree in bluegrass, um, and so enjoy this clip. Um, the accounting is restrictively played only by a priestly class of barred folk musician called Korea. They are only they are only given access to it within West African kinship communities, um, Fulani primarily Fulani, um, which is a trans of North African ethnicity, meta ethnicity. But on the top here, I have the Akonting uh, from Senegal, Gambia. Um, and then on the bottom, I have the earliest image we have of a banjo in the Americas, in Jamaica. This is from 1688, uh, published in 1692. Um, um, this is an etching done by Hans Sloan. Um, you see these two spiked lutes in the front, the foreground, and in the back is a Ghanaian instrument called the Sepuera. Um, it's like a harp lute similar to a kora, which we'll see um, further in West Africa and even up um, into Senegambia and down to Angola. Um, that documentary was done in 2008, so whatever in the roughly, what, 14 years since 2008, um, 15 years. Now we both know the accounting is not the banjo's great-great-great-grandfather. Um, it might have influenced 
the development of this instrument below that becomes the banjo as we know it. But we also know now the accounting was played by itself. It was an instrument of oral history. So you saw it in a group ensemble playing there. In its historical context, it would have been played by one person. And it's a patrilineal line, so it's father passing it down to their sons or nephews. Um, women did not have access to this instrument until the 20th century. Um, and even few and far between, you go through West Africa and Senegambia now, you will see very, very small amounts of female accounting and choral players. It's, it's a male-dominated instrument um, to this day. Uh, based on those, based on its, its kind of ancestry. So down here, also in the largest population of enslaved people in the British colonies, and I'm saying British colonies because that's what the United States eventually came from, was of course Jamaica. Jamaica was not importing enslaved people from Senegambia. <coughs> Senegambia were rice farmers. They were great in South Carolina, great in tidewaters and low, you know, coastal places, even in Chesapeake. But in Jamaica, uh, they were report, or importing what was called Coromante slaves, enslaved people, so from coastal Ghana, the hinterlands of Ghana, the Akan meta-ethnicity, um, the Asante, uh, the Fanti primarily are the two kinship groups. Um, they're going to have multiple wars with both Dutch and British colonial officials and the subsequent prisoners of war and things like that are going to be enslaved. So to say that this instrument it's, it's not a precursor to the banjo for many reasons. Um, there weren't any enslaved people that played this instrument um, coming to the United States, British colonies. Um, and then it also doesn't fit how the banjo was played, early banjo, in colonial Jamaica and colonial America. Um, so these arrows I have are, are kind of what modern banjo historians argue. You'll see that it's basically a dowel. It's like a, kind of like a broom handle that penetrates a gourd or um, calabash, and most people from Senegambia never had access to calabashes. And when we see um, etchings of the banjo in America, they're made out of calabashes, because those were accessible in Central and South America, right around the equator. Um, also, we don't have tuning pegs. We have a dowel with leather thongs that were either moistened or dried out to give string tension. Um, our dowel uh, does not penetrate the sounding chamber, so in this case the gourd, it goes above it. And our gourds down here, you can see that it directly penetrates the sound chamber, the, the resonator. Um, we also have a flat fretboard here. And I mean, that's it's pretty distinct there that it was flat and had tuning pegs as well. Um, other drawings of the Arab will show bridges, um, nuts, either made out of string or wood or uh, angular pieces of material. Um, so it's it's crazy to think, you know, 15 years since that documentary came out, we were just coming to the sense of the banjo has a relationship to West Africa. And in that amount of time, we're like, yeah, it does, but its genesis is in the Caribbean, and it doesn't have much to do with West Africa. Because hmm. it, was, it was this creolized instrument from various enslaved groups in the Caribbean. Thursday, November 2nd was pretty forgettable in the kind of way that a day is when nothing dramatically wrong happens, which is great. Um, I had to go get my blood drawn, and one thing I can't stop thinking about is this trash can 
at the bottom of an escalator. Everyone who comes through the door has to get a visitor's tag. And there is this one trash can at the bottom of the escalator. And like hundreds of people have just put their visitors, like stuck their visitor's tag to the side of the trash can. And I looked inside and there was like a much smaller number of people who had like dropped it in there. And it just reminded me that people like to be a part of something that's already going on. And it also looked cool to see all the different name tags and think about all the different people it represented. Then I bought myself um, some highlighter makeup at Ulta for being such a good girl. The end. We've done it again, ladies and gentlemen. We've made it through another week. And what a week it was. Um, Friday, November 3rd, I drove up to Chattanooga on my way to the Tennessee Folklore Society meeting and saw Joseph DeCosimo and Luke Richardson at the Mountain Arts Center on Signal Mountain in Chattanooga. <clears throat> and it was great. And uh, DeCosimo is a very gifted folklorist, player, teacher, and really gifted interpreter um, like of songs and... I, I told him it was the warmest and most inviting hyper-regional fiddle program I've ever seen. And by that, I mean uh, that he's a gifted speaker, and it feels really good to be hearing someone who learned songs in their town um, from people who learn them from people who live there forever, who learn them from people who live there forever, and so on. Um, he's been playing tunes with folks in that area since he was in middle school. So please enjoy this very brief clip and please go listen to his music on Spotify or on his website, josephdecosimo.com. The last name is D-E-C-O-S-I-M-O.com. And enjoy that and have a wonderful weekend, week, wherever you are when you're hearing this. And I'll see you back here next time. And you might notice from uh, uh, anybody who's, who's seen the, um, the Brother Lamar there has heard that the version of O Man of Constance Art, they know it's going But this is a piece that uh, the Stanley Brothers. If you don't know who the Stanley Brothers are, you only know the Soggy Bottom Boys, you need to figure out who the Stanley Brothers are. And once you figure out who they are, you need to figure out who this old lady, who this version comes from, this old lady named Reddy Spradlin. And she lived up right on the Tennessee-Kentucky line, kind of near the big South Fork. And she played a funky old banjo, and she played a pump for this this year. You're going to see me like pumping my feet like a wild man. Yeah, it's got little bellows that push air through breeze. And she, her brother played the fiddle, and there was an old, there was a guy up in that part of the world named Dick Burnett who had lost his eyesight back in the, in the early 1900s and ended up making his living as a musician, traveling around the Cumberland Plateau and beyond. And he put a little tin cup on his knee and, and showed at the courthouse and play and get some change in there for the rattle. This is a piece that he borrowed floating lyrics and then applied a little bit of his own story. And as he was traveling through, he would stay at this lady Reddy Spradlin's house. And at some point, she must have learned it from him. 
and changed a few of the words and kind of made it her own. My friend Bobby Fulcher, who's this amazing folklorist, has done a lot to document music from this, from our community and, and the rest of this region. He, uh, he went and visited her and made a recording of her, and he said, damn, I got ready. She was an incredible singer. He talked like this. And she sang, man, it was like an ice pick in your eardrum. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I quite know what it's 